Thank you, Donald. Hey, good, good evening, church. I don't know about uh, uh, all that Donald said, all those accolades, but uh, uh, so, you know, but it's, it's good to be here. It's good to, good to be here at this church uh, because I don't know many who uh, will even understand this uh, time. Wow, where's time gotten to? Uh, but you probably don't uh, even realize I was part of this church a long, long time ago in the, in the beginning and uh, to see what, how it developed and how it came together, at least part of it, uh, the vision that God had given us. And man, uh, I came to Clay County back in 1983, uh, making my way up from Pineville, Kentucky. I went to Clear Creek College and uh, was a boomble boy. I'm an Owsley County by birth. Most people think I just grew up here in Clay County. Actually not. I grew up in Owsley County, you know, the big northern city above Clay County. And uh, uh, so, but been here 35 years and uh, our family here and uh, Lisa's originally from Barberville. I picked her up on the way up from the south and we got here and actually we thought, uh, we thought you know, this was just going to be one of those pit stops. Uh, that I would pastor here for a few years, and then was going to go on to seminary, and and uh, really uh, my desire was to be a missionary uh, overseas somewhere in uh, Africa or Europe or whatever. I thought really I would spend most of my life there, and we got here, and uh, the Lord just had a different plan, and a man can uh, kind of uh, uh, you know think he can. This is where I'm going to do, but the Lord's the one who determines his steps, amen? And so God had a, had a different plan, and uh, after 34 uh, years of pastoring uh, and then 21 years working in the Bureau of Prisons, uh, you know, I thought I was going to give it up. I guess that makes a perfect combination to be the director at Chad's Hope. So, uh, uh, so we're, we're, we're glad to be here, and I'm glad to be here tonight. And we just got back, uh, uh, the student staff and I, we just got back last night. We were up a week at uh, Louisville, Kentucky, doing security for the Mid America Truck Show, and uh, that is a that's a that's a big job. And uh, uh, and I just kudos to my staff and the students. They did an awesome, awesome job as they always as they always do. Isn't it amazing? It's just amazing to me that uh, uh, they would ask uh, a group of ex addicts to come and do the security over millions of dollars of equipment. Isn't that just a, you know? Here's, here's hundreds of millions of dollars of things. We want you to guard it, you know. Oh, you were, you know, you were, you know, whatever, yeah. And that, only the Lord can do that. Really, only the Lord can do that. And uh, that's great. I think that, that is awesome. Um, but I, I just want to, very quickly, let me just tell you about uh, Chad's Hope. And thank you all for your support of Chad's Hope. Um, and, and I don't have to tell you about Chad's Hope. You know what Chad's Hope does. Uh, but, you know, this is the 10-year anniversary uh, of Chad's Hope. We started Chad's Hope 10 years ago. And Chad's Hope came out of, uh, uh, out of the birth of the, the drug march, which was so famously termed back in May of 2004. We're coming up on the 14-year anniversary of that. Uh, four years later, Chad's Hope came into being part of the Teen Challenge Network across America. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not a drug rehab uh, uh, drugs is not the problem. Alcohol is not the problem. It's a sin problem, the spiritual problem that we're looking at. And uh, you know, and since its inception back in uh, 2008, over 700 men get this, Clay County, uh, 700 men have come through the doors at Chad's Hope. Wow. 
since we've been open. We've been able to affect 700 lives. And, and that, uh, for the most part, uh, to present to them the gospel, to teach them the word of God, to give them the skills and to give them the, uh, uh, to point them in the right direction into how they can live a life out of a, with, with biblical knowledge and of spiritual value. That, that's really what, to live a life of purpose and, and to live a life that is designed to glorify God in everything that you do. And so, uh, you know, and we've seen that just continue and, you know, we've grown and we're, we're not perfect, but I'm going to tell you, last year we saw 24 men complete the program. And it's a 12-month program. They come and they stay for 12 months. And uh, last year we had 24 men complete the program. That meant stay the whole time. And, and many of those men are continuing to serve the Lord. And, and this year already we've had five men graduate the program. And, and I just want to recognize my staff. Is my staff here? If you're here, stand up. And uh, I want you to see, and a lot of my staff that are here, Forrest and Dave, matter, matter of fact, all four of my staff who are here tonight are former graduates of the program and who completed the program. And listen, trust me, you guys, they didn't come back because the pay is really good. Right? That's not what they came but they came back, and James just recently, James just got here yesterday. James graduated the program last year in March, and he left, and he felt God's call in his life, and he went out to California, went to Teen Challenge Ministries Institute, which is like a mini Bible college, and he completed their year program, and now he's come back because he wants to serve and to breathe in into the life of men uh, and, and to see them. Uh, listen, that's what we want to see out of our students. I don't, you know, I don't want to see our students when they ask them, you know, well, you know, people ask me all the time, what is, what is success at Chad's Hope? They say, well, I just want to stop doing drugs. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is so crazy. That is so crazy. Is, 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 that, is that the goal, the epitome of life that you go through and you can say, I never used drugs or I never drunk alcohol? Of course, I was a thief, a murderer, uh, an adulterer. And never took care of my kids, but I, I never did drugs or did alcohol, so I must be okay. <laughs> right? Right? Mm. So that, that is the goal, and, that, and that's, that's what I'm so proud of these guys. I'm so proud of the students who are here who are making their way through the program, that they, they're understanding what true success and what the true measure of a man is. So let's, let's get into the Word of God, because that's what I'm here about. I love the Word of God. And I want you, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 3. And I, and I want to talk on the subject tonight, the death of a brilliant fool. And I want to talk tonight about a guy, and, and maybe this is a story that, that may have kind of slipped your Bible reading. You know, sometimes we go through in the Old Testament and we're reading stuff and and we'll, we'll read all these stories, and sometimes you can skip a st story and miss the significance. But let me, let me encourage you that every dot, every title, every letter, every word in the Word of God has meaning and purpose. And, and so uh, Paul would write in Romans that, listen, we learn from what was written beforehand 
so that we might be able to, to put it into to our life today so it might benefit us, that it might point us toward Jesus. And so here's the story in 2 Samuel chapter 3. And it's a story, uh, and we, we're going to read just a few verses, and then we're going to keep on going back to the text. Uh, but this is a story, it's about the death of a man by the name of Abner. And Abner was a brilliant man. Oftentimes people try to get me to talk about what, give me the characteristic of someone who is an addict or someone who is going to be an addict or something like that and, and how this all happens. And uh, uh, listen, there, there is no description. You, you can't, uh, you just can't point and say, uh, you know, well, they, they come from low income or they didn't have a good family structure or stuff like that. Listen, uh, sin, and I don't even like to talk addiction, but sin, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what, what demographic you're in, whether you're a man, a woman, a boy or a girl, rich, poor, black, white, blue, green, yellow, Martian or, or Venetian. It doesn't matter. Sin attacks. And Abner here was, is, a, is a good example of a man who was a brilliant man. He was a general of the armies of Israel. He was under the leadership of Ishbosheth, with Saul's son, who had taken over after Saul had died as king of Israel. And so Abner uh, was a brilliant military guy. He was a leader. Everyone looked up to him. And he was a brave warrior. He was a brave man. And he was a man who people trusted and his men followed. And the story is told, and we, we kind of pick up uh, uh, in chapter 3, but Abner gets murdered by David's general by the name of Joab. And he's murdered, and when David hears of what happened, and you'll find out here as we go into the text, David is just lamenting over him. David is heartbroken, and David makes a statement. It's almost like David is preaching the funeral of Abner. And if you've never done that, if you've never said, you know, and I've had to, and I know Donald has, and, and many, uh, uh, I've had to preach the funerals of many those who died that shouldn't have. Matter of fact, that was kind of what led us to the drug march years ago. Be very honest, I got tired of preaching the funerals of young people who overdosed on drugs. I got tired of getting the calls and saying, my son, my daughter, they're strung out, they don't have no, you know. And we, just, we began to pray, and we began to seek the Lord, and this is kind of where we're at 14 years, years later. But it's hard to preach the funeral of the foolish, especially when they're brilliant, when they had so much potential. Those who die young and those who die unexpectedly or those who die tragically, it's not often because they, uh, they jumped off or, or they were tumbling down the, the, the stairs uncontrollably. That's not always the case. And it wasn't the case in the life of Abner. But look here in 2 Samuel 3. Look, look in verse 32. And let's just read a few verses here. And then we'll pick up the story, and I'll tell you the whole story. And you'll find this really amazing as we get into this. And David said, 
uh, and they buried Abner, in verse 32, in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice, and he wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into feathers, as a man falleth before wicked men. So fellest thou, and all the people wept again over him. Now that was his epitaph. Abner died as a fool. As a fool. This great, brilliant man with all the potential in the world, David said, Abner died as, as a fool would die. And why? Well, first of all, I want us to look, what was the, what was the reason? And we're going to see that Abner was a man who was in fearful danger. He was in fearful danger because of his past. If you'll turn in chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, really, and if you get time, you might want to go back and read all chapter 2 and chapter 3 because it's a wonderful story. But you see, Abner was the leader of the army of Israel under Ishbosheth, and Joab was the leader over the kings of, of David, of Judah. And one day they got together, uh, and, and you had two opposing sides. If you know the story between David and Saul, uh, how those houses were kind of divided, and Saul tried to kill David for so many years. So I guess you know, there would be a little uh, animosity there uh, between those houses. And even after Saul uh, had died, Judah had made David king over them, but Ishbosheth had ruled over Israel. One day, we're found in chapter 2 of verse 18, we find out that, uh, uh, or in this chapter, that one day Joab and Abner and all uh, their men, they gather together and they meet at this place. And Joab and Abner decide, you know, just a bunch of guys getting around together. And they said, hey, why don't we get, let the guys get up and uh, do a little fighting match here. Let's see, you know, let's see who's got the bigger sword. And so... They picked 12 men from each side, and they got up, and they met. And the Bible says as they, as they met, each of the men grabbed the other by the beard, and they took their sword, and they pierced it, and they killed each other. And then, you know what happened? It all broke out. I thought about 12. I thought it was two basketball teams. It's like Clay playing Laurel County or something, you know, and a big fight breaks out. You know, not that it ever happened. Not that we've never done that. You know, we've never done something like that. So, so these guys fight, and then there's a battle, and the battle's going on. And during that battle, uh, David's men, Joab's men, are routing the men of Abner. And so Abner sounds the alarm, and they begin to retreat. Well, Joab had a younger brother by the name of Abishai. And, and uh, he, Abishai, uh, the Bible says, or... Um, uh, Asasial as, as was, was a young man and he was as fast as a deer. I mean, he was lightfoot. I mean, he could really run. He was younger uh, and had, and Abner was a little older man and he had all the armor on. And so during that, after that fight, uh, Aziel began to follow and to, to fall behind Abner as he fled. And let's pick it up there in verse 18. And there were three sons of Zariah, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was light as foot of a wild roe. And Asahel pursued after Abner, and in going he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. 
And then Abner looked behind him and he said, Are thou Asahel? And he said, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right hand or to the left and lay thee hold on one of the young men and take his armor. But Asahel would not turn aside. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? You see, because before this, Joab and Abner were friends. They would actually had fought together when David was in the army of Saul. However, he refused to turn aside. Wherefore, Abner, with the hinder end of his spear, smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there, and he died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. So Joab also and his brother Abishai pursued after Abner, and the sun went, uh, they were come to the hill. The sun went down that lieth before Gib, the way of the wilderness of Gibeon, and, they, and the, the, the battle ended there. And so what happens here is this young man, the, the younger brother Joab, is following Abner after the fight, and because what he wants to do is he wants to make a name for himself. Not that we men can uh, uh, identify with that. We want to make a name for ourselves because if we can beat this guy, then we've got a name. I defeated Abner. And so he's following after him, and Abner can't get away because he's a little older and he's a little slower, but he is a skilled fighter. And he tells him, not once, but he tells him twice, turn aside, go after someone else's armor. If you want to make a name for yourself, you go do it with one of these younger guys, but if you keep following me, I'm going to have to put you down. And I don't want to have to do that because me and your brother are friends, and I don't want to have to look him in the eye and, and know what's going to come. But he wouldn't listen to him. He wouldn't listen. So as he got closer to him, he takes his spear and he just jabs it back and it goes through his stomach and it kills him right there and he falls down. And when the people came there, they stood there. And of course, Joab and Abishai, when they get there, they're like, mm, he's killed our brother. And they chased him and they chased him until they got to a place. And then, uh, and if you'll continue to read on, you'll find out that when Abner, he got to a place, he got to Hebron, he stopped and they blew the trumpet and the battle was over. And we'll see the significance. So here Joab kills, or, or Abner kills the younger brother of Joab. Now there's something in, in, the, in the Old Testament, and, you, and there's a terminology that I want to introduce to you. It's called the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood in the Old Testament, if someone... Uh, killed someone that was a close friend or a relative of you. There was a terminology called the avenger of blood. So if you killed someone in my family, I could avenge them. If there was nobody there to avenge them, I could avenge them, and then I could pursue after you and, and kill you. Matter of fact, it's found in Deuteronomy uh, 19. We're not going to take the time to go there, but you can read about the avenger of blood, especially if it's an accidental death or if it was not a, it was not a death that was meant out of hatred or premeditated. It was something that you were out working and, and you're swinging the axe and the axe went and hit the guy and cut his, you know, uh, that's an accidental death. But still, someone in the family say, man, you killed my brother even though it, it was uh, by accident. The avenger of blood, he could chase you down and kill you and then not be, not be held for murder. That was called the avenger of blood. At this point, Joab becomes an avenger of blood, him and his brother Abishai. So they're chasing after Abner. 
even though Abner really didn't do anything out of meanness or out of hatred, and he, and he tried to tell uh, Asahel not to do this, but he continued, he wouldn't listen. So in self-defense, he defends himself. But you still have the avenger of blood that's chasing him. Now, so we understand that what happens here is Abner is in fearful danger. He's in mortal danger. Because at any time that, that he meets Joab and Abner meets, Joab can put him to death. Now, we'll find out a little bit about that because he's avenger of blood. Now, what happens is some years pass along, and Abner is continuing to serve the uh, Ishbosheth, the king of Israel, and Joab is continuing to serve David. And there are some things that happen between Ishbosheth and Abner that Abner didn't like. Abner, uh, Ishbosheth accused him of some things, and, and Abner didn't like it. And Abner decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do everything that I've been doing to support you to be the king of Israel. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to help David become the king of Israel. I'm going to, all my loyalty and allegiance is now going to turn over to David. And that's what he did. And so he contacts David. David and Abner meet. And, and, and Abner says, David, I'm going to give the kingdom to you. I don't think Ishbosheth is supposed to be the king. The Lord said, you're supposed to be the king of Israel. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to make you the king of Israel. And David said, man, that's a great deal. And so they sit there and they, and they celebrate and they pray about it, you know, and, and, and Abner leaves. Now, we're going to pick up now in the story again, now in chapter, uh, uh, in chapter 3. Let's pick back in the story in chapter 3 and in verse 24. This is right after David and Abner have met, and they've made an agreement. They've made an agreement that Abner's going to help David now become the, the king over all of Israel. And now Joab has been out doing something, and Joab comes in, and he finds out that David and Abner have made this compact, this, this treaty. And look what happens in verse 24. Then Joab came to the king, and he said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away? And he is quite gone. Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. Now, let me just explain that in simple English. He says, he's coming here to spy on you. He's not come here to help you. This is what Joab was saying. And, and David's like, no, no, we're going to stick with this. So, verse 26, and when Joab was come out from David... He sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah, but David knew it not. So even though I'm sure that the king David told Joab, said, now Joab, me and Abner got this pact. This is going to work out. Leave the man alone. He goes out, unbeknownst to David, and he has his guys go call Abner and say, hey, Abner, come back. I, I want to meet with you. Let's look in verse 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron... Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly, and he smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So Joab calls him back, meets him at Hebron, and he's like, hey, buddy, here we, here we are. And when he, gets hold of, when he gets close enough to Abner, he takes him, and he takes his knife, and he plunges it under the fifth rib. Matter of fact, that's exactly where the spear went into his brother, wasn't it? So it's just like, and Abner died. Now this was a foolish death. And there, here's the reason why this was such a foolish death. Now Abner knew 
knew that Joab was the avenger of blood. He knew what had transpired. He knew it. But why is it so significant to this foolish death? Because you see the, the city where they met at? It was the city of Hebron. Hebron was one of the cities in the Old Testament in Israel that was designated as a city of refuge. A city of refuge was a place. Well, let's, let's look at it. Turn over to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 20. And let me just show you this real quick. Joshua 20. The city of refuge was a place where if you had accidentally or you had killed someone and an avenger of blood was trying to chase you and they were trying to kill you, if you went to one of these cities of refuge, once you entered into the city, the avenger of blood could not touch you. You were to be safe. You were to be safe. And let's look here in, in Joshua 20, verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spoke unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unaware and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, this is a, this is a wonderful picture, too, because the city of refuge has always been a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place where you can run. Uh, Proverbs says that the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous can run to it and are safe. You see, the Lord Jesus is the city of refuge for us today. And anyone who has committed a crime, whether, whether you knowingly or unknowingly, because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have the avenger of blood because whoever sinned, the wages of sin is death. We all have the avenger of blood. Sin is tracking us down. Sin is after us. We are all going to pay the final cost of our sin one day, which is death. And that's what is tracking us, friends. We've, we sin, but we can run to a city of refuge and find safe harbor, find safety there within the city's walls, and that is Jesus. And so here in, in verse 7 of Joshua 20, look what it says. And they appointed Kedesh in Galilee, and Mount Nathali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kirjarbara, which is Hebron in the mountain of Judah. Hebron was one of the cities of refuge. So when if you'll read that text there in chapter 3 again in 2 Samuel, that when, they came, when he came to him and he returned, he took him aside outside the gate. In other words, when Joab met Abner and he was coming back to Hebron, Joab snuck out before he could enter into the gate of the city and he said, let me speak to you. He was steps, only a few steps of, to safety and Joab called him and said, let me speak to you. And he slew him there outside of the city of refuge. You see, that speaks to you and I today. As so many of us today, how many are dying outside of the refuge that Jesus has provided for us? We're only steps away from going inside the city gate. And we don't make it and we die. And that's why it's a foolish death. This brilliant man died a fool because he was only steps of safety within the gate. But rather than thinking, I need to get inside the city of refuge, 
I will just talk to Joab out here. It'll be all right. Right? Not only do we see a foolish death, we see friendly deception. Look at Joab. Joab knows all this. Joab knows if he, if he takes Abner's hand, he can't inside the city of refuge that he would be held accountable for his blood. He knows that. It's friendly deception. And Joab is going to catch him before he gets to the city of refuge, and he's going to kill him. He's going to slay him for the revenge of his brother's death. Let me tell you, friends, that tonight we have a, a deceiver that is after us, and, he's, and, he, and he uses friendly deception. My heart breaks tonight because I, I, I deal uh, uh, every day dealing with men who have been deceived by this friendly deceptor. The devil is a deceiver. And he, and he wants to pose like Joab does to you. He comes to you and he says, man, I'm your friend. Let me talk to you outside of the city of refuge. Let's go out here. And he just wants to get you out so he can plunge that, that dagger into your heart because the enemy comes not to steal but to kill and to destroy. The Bible says be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's a friendly deceiver. The devil doesn't come at you and says, hey, here I am. I'm here to kill you. He doesn't introduce himself. He, he comes at you. The Bible says, matter of, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that, that he, in eleven fourteen, 14, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He comes to you as a friend. The Bible says that if you're a, a friend of the world, you're in, at, at odds, at enmity with God. And the devil comes at you, a friend. He says, friend, this is the way it is. Every, I'm offering you everything in the world. And it doesn't matter if it, it doesn't have to be drugs, it doesn't have to be alcohol, it can be greed, it can be sex, it can be, it can be uh, lust, it can, it can be power or pride or whatever it might be. He uses that to pretend, pretend to be your friend so he can get close, so he can capture your heart and then he can stag, uh, put a dagger into your heart and kill you. He's a friendly deceiver. He doesn't come at you with a pitchfork and a long red tail. Listen, this is, this is what the devil does. This is what Joab did. He, he got his confidence. And listen, friends, sin is deceiving. It'll get your confidence and then it'll destroy you. It will kill you. And it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are or who, what in position you have, sin wants to destroy us. My friend is doing that job. You don't have to be a rocket science to figure that out. Kids afraid to go to school because other kids are taking guns in the school. And then the kids are marching about trying to say, we need to ban the guns. The funny thing about it, when we had the Ten Commandments and we were teaching the Word of God in schools, then we started doing the same thing. We need to take that out. Now we want, to, we want more laws, but we don't want the law. And those dying, are 174 a day are dying over drug addiction. 
174 a day. Before we leave here tonight, there will be at least, there's going to be at least seven to eight people in the time that we've been in here that have died over a drug overdose in our country. And so what we, what we decide we're going to do in, in, our, in our wonderful, uh, ingenious education and stuff, we're, we're going to offer drugs to get them off the drugs. And that's the answer. Let's give them more drugs. And so we create some more Suboxone clinics, and now Suboxone is one of the most number one addiction in America today. And you know what our country decides? What we need to do is we need to double down on the Suboxone clinics, and we need to make more. And that's going to be the answer. Friendly deception. Sounds like a good idea. Won't be wrong. But it doesn't work. We're like the guy in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus talked about, the certain rich man who had his fields full, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, he said I'm going I'm to take down all, all my fields. I'm going to fill my barns up, and I'm going to say, oh, my goodness, you know, take ease, drink, and be happy, be merry. I'm, I'm just going to enjoy life. And the Lord said to him, you fool, tonight, don't you know that the Lord is going to require your soul of you? And then what good is going to be all this stuff after you're gone? Friendly deception. There's a way that seems right into a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, so there, there was a fearful danger. There was a foolish death. There was friendly deception. And finally, but look at the final determination. I just want to talk about this just for a second. And then just the praise team, come on up and we'll get ready for the, for the altar call tonight. I want you to look at this, but in verse 33 and verse 34, here's where the people after Abner is dead, and they, they go there in Hebron, and David is there, and David is weeping. He is weeping upon the bier, the, the coffin that you would call it, in, in, uh, we would, uh, in these days we would call it a coffin. Then they, it was a different thing. And he wept, and he cried, and he said, oh, Abner died as a fool. Did he die as a fool dieth? And David understanding the whole circumstance. And he's crying and he's weeping there. And there's a couple of issues. Listen, first of all, the Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. Can I tell you that there is a point in the men all men once there's a time that you die and after this comes a judgment. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes was saying, listen, when you're out there and, and a tree falls down, if it falls to the north or it falls to the south or wherever, wherever it falls, that's where it's going to be. And listen, when you die and, and your life is over, there, there is no second chance. Where you fall, that's where it lies. There's not going to be, you're not going to get to come back as a, as a, a, a giraffe or, a, or a, a bunny rabbit or anything like that. You're, you're, you're going to face God in judgment. And, and, the, and the question is, is your heart going to be right before him? Have you entered into the city refuge? And the sad thing is, 
is that many tonight, and probably some who are here, is that you have, you have drifted close to the city of refuge. You've learned about the city of refuge. You've looked at the gates of the city of refuge. You know there's safety in the city of refuge. But yet, you have not taken the step to go into the city of refuge. And if you die outside those gates, you will perish in eternal hell. I know that's not a popular subject anymore. We're supposed to preach upbeat and happy sermons. But let me tell you, friends, there, there, it is heaven, it is hell at the eternity, and that is it. There is no other. That is truth. And David is weeping because he realizes that Abner died just a few steps. And he was smart enough. He, he knew the laws of Israel. He knew about the city of refuge. He knew that Joab was the avenger of blood, but yet in that moment he did not take the necessary steps to procure his safety. And I would say tonight, how many, how many of you here tonight, you know about Jesus, you, you've, heard of, you've heard him preach, you, you know of his love, you believe in the story, you, you hold the gospel message is true, you believe all the things that the Bible says, but yet you have not taken the steps to enter in into the city of refuge. Is that you tonight? Because can I tell you that once you die, Donald stands over your casket. He preaches your funeral right here. It doesn't matter what he says. Wherever you lie when you died, that's where you lied. Ain't nobody going to preach you out of the casket into heaven. Amen? You have a choice. That's what Jesus said. Listen, I am the way. He said, I am the truth and I am the life. And no man can come unto the Father but through me, through a relationship, through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, coming to know him. And I, listen, tonight, I'm, I would encourage you, if, if you're here tonight, and, and, and maybe you, you've got all the, maybe you know it, and I know people who know the Bible backwards and forwards and all that, but, but the problem is, is you've never committed your heart it's like Brother Donald was saying, just what it's you've not committed, you've not trusted him, you've not put your faith in him. You 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 you've got a little bit, yeah, I can see that, but really I like this plan B over here a little bit better. You need to get, you need to come to the city of refuge. You need to come to Jesus tonight. You need to come and you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn and you need to put 100% of your trust in what God did for you with Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. Amen. You need to do that. There's one other point I want, to, I want to conclude with tonight. And I want to say this. And I want you to hear me, church. Please hear me. Hear me on this. I'm, a, I'm getting up there, Donald. I'm, David and all the, the nation of Israel, they cried at Abner's funeral. There was many tears that were shed. But let me tell you, all those tears were shed in vain because it was after the death of Abner. How many funerals, how many people I've talked to after the death and all the crying and all the mourning 
And I can tell you, and I've, I've been doing this now for five years with Chad's Hope and going around, and I hear the mourning and the tears that are being shed and all this going on. But I'm going to tell you, in the churches I go to, I don't see a whole lot of tears being shed on the altar before they die. We were at a church not too long ago, and we were there sharing. And these people started to testify. And they said, one said, I got a son down there in the jail. I would like one of you guys to go down and talk to him about Jesus. One said, yeah, I've got a son who's in, wrapped up in addiction. Would someone, one of you guys go tell him about Jesus? And my heart was breaking. I said, if you really love someone, why don't you tell them about Jesus? I mean, I don't mind to go tell them about Jesus. You know, I'll go to wherever. I'll do whatever. But I'm telling you what, what I saw happen 14 years ago that started this movement, that, that, that started Clay County. It was a center of where an explosion, where we were saying we weren't going to take it anymore. And we had 68 churches and 3,500 people march through the streets of Manchester. And we pledged, and the pastors, we signed a covenant saying that we would continue to do this fight and we would spread the gospel. And I'd say we have less than a handful that are still in the fight today. And I visit the churches, and I don't see them on the altar. I don't see us crying and weeping over those of our families who are dying in addiction and dying in sin and out there. We wait till after they die. And then we cry for them. And I tell you, after they're dead, it's too late. Because the tree has fallen, and the tree has fallen, and where it fell, it will lie. Would we not be better, church, if our hearts were broken today? If we would have compassion today. And we would say, like the song that we sang earlier, that we would go and we would share the love. D.L. Moody told a story of about a Governor James Pollock, he was a Christian man, governor of the state of Pennsylvania. Governor Pollock, there was a young man who had been convicted of murder in the state of Pennsylvania. He was on death row waiting for the sentence to be carried out. Many people had tried to get a pardon for him just to save his life. And His mother had camped out on the outside of the doors of Governor Pollock there in the state capitol. One day, the secretary was distracted talking to some people who had come in, and she rushed through the doors of the governor's office, and she fell at his feet, and she grabbed his legs, and she cried. She said, Governor, have mercy on my son. Have mercy on my son. Don't let him kill him. Security ran in, and Governor Pollock stopped him, and he picked the mother up, and she told the story. And the governor said, Ma'am, he said, I've looked at your, your son's case. He is guilty of the crime. He deserves the penalty. He says, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm a Christian man. He said, I will go speak with your son. So days later, Governor Pollock made his way to that penitentiary. And the warden took him down that 
path of there of the death row inmates and he stopped at the cell of this young man and the, and the gate opened up and Governor Pollock walked in and there that young man was there sitting on the side of his bed with his hands, his head buried in his hands. And Governor Pollock talked to him gently. And he spoke with him lovingly. He told him of the love of God and he told him of the grace of Jesus. He said, son, don't you want to receive Jesus? Don't you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And the young man just never lifted his hand off of his hands. The governor had a word of prayer with him, and he got up, and he walked out. And as he was walking out, the warden said, son, you know, and said, why didn't you speak to the governor? Why didn't you talk to the governor? The young man lifted his head up. He said, the governor? Was that the governor? He said, I didn't know that was the governor. He said, if I knew that was the governor, I would have begged for a pardon. I would have pleaded for a pardon. I wouldn't have let him left my cell until I got a pardon. He said, I didn't know that was the governor governor had already left the story's told that even as the young man walked that aisle to the hangman's noose as he was handcuffed he looked around to those guards and he said I didn't know it was the governor if I'd only known it was the governor if I only known it was the governor I would have asked for a pardon church can I tell you tonight there's someone here tonight who's greater than the governor and he offers you a pardon from the prison of sin that you're in. And the pardon that he grants and will give you tonight, if you will plead with him, if you will call upon him, can forgive you of all of your sins. And not only forgive you and seal your name in the Lamb's book of life, but he can give you power and victory to overcome every sin that is enslaved you. He's here tonight. plead with him will you plead with him listen the altar is open if you need to call out to Jesus tonight why don't you come and listen if you're a Christian here tonight if you're a Christian you need to come and we need to shed the tears for the souls of our students and their family members and those that we love we need to call upon the name of the Lord we need to be broken for God we need to be reaching out in the name of Jesus to those around us. You come. If the altar is filled, make an altar where you're at. Let's cry out to the Lord. God, have mercy. Have mercy on our community. Have mercy on our family. Have mercy on our brothers and fathers and our sisters and our mothers. Have mercy, Lord. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, we come to you, Lord. We are broken. We realize, Father, we, like all those before us, Lord, we have failed. We are fallen. We are broken. But Lord, we are your broken pieces of pottery.
that you want to mend and you want to heal and you want to restore and tonight we want to put our trust and our faith in a living God and a resurrected Savior we want to come to you Lord and say Father heal our nation heal our land heal our community heal our home heal our school oh God send revival and send this revival into this heart of mine renew my commitment consecrate my call sanctify my soul Lord tonight fill me with your spirit fill me with your compassion for those around me everything changes 